Next on the tee in Season 2, Episode 8 of Girl the Grind, a Duke Blue Devil and an Illinois native, Meg Furtney. Let me just say I'm sorry. We were trying to get this podcast out before World, but that didn't happen. We got a little busy in our own grind, but let's be honest, we're all thinking about Pinehurst again. So yeah, so I guess it would be appropriate to put it out at any time of year, right, Allie? Yes. The information Meg shared with us and her knowledge about Carolina golf really shines through throughout this entire episode. Meg is an all-American person. Even after the podcast, we saw Meg all around Pinehurst. She played in our event, the Barefoot One Club Scramble. She even took us to Duke to see her campus. And she put up with us afterwards, right? Yes, we went out she to did. Eat. She hung out with us. She played some ridiculous family games that we always get ourselves into to keep Lucy occupied mentally before she breaks down and loses it in front of everybody. But you know what? That's what we do. <laughs> That's what we do. We absolutely leech on to these people, and they can't get rid of us. She's <laughs> stuck with us now, poor girl. And you know what? Actually, I think she was cool with it. Yeah, she was awesome. She was amazing. I'm rooting for Meg, like with my whole heart, because she's the type of person that you want to be around. She just has a special thing about her where she genuinely seems to care. Um, She mentioned a few charities she was involved with. She took that time, all joking aside, to be with us, and she gave us a whole day at Duke. Yeah, it was awesome. We we snuck around a little bit. We got in and saw Cameron. We saw their golf facility. She told us all about those great things that 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 facility offers, including different bunker sand types, different greens that are all kind of tied together in the back behind their shack there. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool how all the different grasses and that stuff helps prepare for Pinehurst as well. And different events that they're in throughout the year. I mean, they'll actually just ship sand in just to get them prepared for the Augusta Women's Am. They do all kinds of things that are really innovative, and that's probably why they're a powerhouse over there at Duke. She's exceptional, a great person. I feel like you learned a lot from her, and I hope to continue to uh, watch her career blossom and unfold as she continues to develop in the player that she wants to be ultimately on tour someday. I hope you enjoy Season 2, Episode 8 of Girl the Grind. Welcome back to Girl the Grind. This is Episode 8 of Season 2, and today we are joined by Illinois' golf legend in the making, Duke sensation Meg Furtney. We are proclaiming that Meg is an expert when it comes to North Carolina golf, especially when it comes to transitioning from Midwest golf. I know that I think about getting back to Piners 365 days of a year. In fact, getting back to Piners was my very first goal after watching the short game documentary on Netflix for the first time years ago. But I'm not the only one. Thousands of young golfers across the world are grinding daily with hopes and dreams of competing in the U.S. Kids World Championships at Pinehurst every year, but it doesn't stop there. This year, the USGA Junior Amateur will be hosted at the Country Club of North Carolina at where, you guessed it, Pinehurst. And it just keeps getting better. Grow the Grind is thrilled to announce that we will be covering the North and South Amateur, the longest standing amateur golf tournament in the United States, playing on Pinehurst number two and number four every July, a tournament that Meg has played well in and currently preparing for. With all this being said, we are calling this pod Prepping for Pinehurst with Duke Sensation Meg Fernie. Meg, thanks for your patience during that setup, and thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Jeez, that took a while, <laughs> didn't it? Holy cow. Allie? Well, Meg, we're here. We're at Cantini and uh, just outside of Naperville here. And uh, we're in the bird's nest of this clubhouse. I didn't even know this place was up here. We're tucked up top through like 35 sets of stairs, like Rapunzel's Tower, overlooking uh, a beautiful golf course that you kind of grew up at and played and practiced here. Did you know this uh, spot was here? I had absolutely no idea. I mean, coming up here, I had no idea that the view would be this beautiful either, but it's really cool. And we're surrounded by windows. We've got yeah. a beautiful day. We've got golfers everywhere, just like everywhere in the United States right now. It seems like you can't find a tee time. You can't play anywhere. Um, but Terry Hanley was awesome. He, he set it up for us, and we're hanging out. Let me just tell you about Meg for a second, because obviously we know Pinehurst is exciting, and, and we know everybody's looking to prep towards that and, and has big goals this summer. But Meg's already accomplished so much in her career. Um, and a sensational high school golfer. She led her St. Charles North team to a state title in 2018 and earned herself a, a nice little piece of a scholarship there to Duke where she is now competing at the national level every single year trying to win a title uh, with the likes of some of her good buddies, Erica Shepard and Gina Kim and others. Shepard, of course, is, is her is her right hand when it comes to four-ball competition. The two of them won a USGA four-ball championship. Yeah, Meg's done more than just that, folks. She's actually qualified for a U.S. Open and participated in the 2019 U.S. Open and, uh, and has done that from her humble upbringings out here in the Chicagoland area and moved all the way out to the Carolinas and has become an expert on Carolina golf. And so we're super pumped to have her, and I can't believe it, but uh, we're sitting here with her today. Everybody's excited about getting ready to Worlds, getting ready for the AM, and um, tell us a little bit about uh, your experience growing up in the area here, working out at this course at Cantini, and then we'll kind of move into some of that great stuff with North Carolina golf. Yeah, being able to grow up and practice at a course like this has been just such a blessing. You know, being able to see all of the employees that are still working here and former coaches that I worked with still out here has been really cool. And it's really nice to be able to kind of grow up in one place and just have such a great support group. And it definitely has kind of gotten me to where I am now. And so being able to have this kind of area to come here and practice and rely on their facilities to get me ready to travel nationally always really means a lot. Yeah, you had some coaching here too, didn't you? You mm -hmm. had quite a few lessons. Who was that you were working with for those years? So I worked with Connie DeMaglia out here at Cantini for quite a few years. It was like four or five years. And he did a lot of great things for my golf game. He really kind of changed the way I view, viewed the way I practiced. And that's really kind of, I still use some of the stuff that he showed me today. And that's just something that really speaks very highly of him and the staff here at Cantini and the way that they all work really well with their students. Speaking of working well with a student, you had a student today, didn't you? Yes, I did. She did a great job, didn't you, Allie? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of that fun. Was it was cool. a lot of fun. It I really cool. appreciated that. It yeah, there's, a, there's something special about a person that, you know, we had said, let's get together and do this, and you took it upon yourself to take it to a little bit of a different level. We met out here at Cantini in the practice area today. And started around that chipping green, worked out of the bunkers, spent some time with Allie putting. On your own, you did that. So let's be clear here. Yeah. Meg's a great golfer, right? We know yes. She, but like anything, that's not as important as what type of person you Definitely. are. And so we've, we've met a lot of people, but very few have, have been able to take that type of time like you did. And it wasn't like you were just working through it. Like you were talking through this stuff at the level that you probably work for yourself. And that was... That did not get lost on me. It certainly didn't get lost on Allie. Did you take anything away from today, Al? Yeah, a lot. A lot of, with chipping. There was a lot about bunker shots that I took away, and it was just really cool to kind of have a coach besides my dad because I've never had a coach 
that um so it's kind of good having a coach that knows something (laughs) what you guys work on out there today what were you guys what were you doing uh like ali said we did a little bit of everything we spent a lot of time on chipping you know i kind of tried to show her a little bit of the ropes with what's important when you're warming up and practicing and really getting checked in on the basics and we also got to the range did a little full swing work and her swing's looking great She's i saw you break in those new pxgs too how those feel yes, today what'd those you get great you got I some got, new stuff yeah i got the new pxg gen fours um i just got a club fitting the other day so i'll have some new woods coming in too which i'm really excited about you know get the ball flying a little further and it's going to be really fun to yeah, be able to Yeah, but you this. were just rolling last week. I mean, you're in the Illinois Women's Am. You were dominating the field, and then you ran into a, a really good day out of Grace Curran and came up just a little bit short in that runner-up for the Illinois Am, which was a good finish for you. No, it's, let's not lie. That's really good golf. So you're going to make a change right after playing that well, huh? Are you feeling great about that change? Yeah, so I actually did a similar change last summer as well. I switched from the Gen 2s to the Gen 3s really right before Pinehurst, actually. And so I really like that switch, and I feel pretty comfortable making the same kind of switch right now. Um, the numbers are pretty similar, and I just really like the way the clubs feel, so I'm yeah, feeling pretty good. seven iron, 178, 180-yard carry look pretty comfortable <laughs> to me today out there. So we wanted to start with some important numbers. I ran some math, and I decided that the average of 1.8 putts per hole would be decent for, for just about anyone. That's 32 putts. If you hit 15 greens... We are shooting the number or better. But our listeners want to putt 26 to 30 times. So Meg, how do we make that happen? I would say the biggest thing is kind of like what I showed you today is green reading and being able to really understand where the ball is going to roll and how fast it's going to roll, especially going out to Pinehurst. Those greens can get so quick out there that being able to really take the time to understand those greens and just really know what to expect out of the way your putts are going to roll is um, key in making sure that your putts are either going in or getting as close to the hole as they possibly can. So something that we find a lot in Pinehurst is that on the cup there's a burn. So do we trust the burn, and what's the deal with the burn? I would say that you should trust the burn. Uh, I think anything out there on the Bermuda greens you should really pay attention to, especially with the grain as well. You really need to make sure that you're kind of being aware of where the grain is, the time of day, and just kind of being aware of, okay, how many people have been on these greens, you know, where's the footprints at, because even things like that can make a big difference in the ways that the, um, your ball reacts on the green. What do you mean? Just um, if you're playing later in the day, especially at a, a big event like a, a north-south where you're playing maybe even 36 holes and a lot of people have been on those greens, um, you know, those spike marks and the way that people have been walking around the holes, there's going to be a lot of foot traffic, and so that can really impact um, maybe the green will get a little shaggier, it might roll a little slower, and it can change the way that the ball kind of reacts off the putter face compared to maybe earlier in the day when it might have been a little bit maybe wetter, there might have been more dew, and there also is less foot traffic, so it's just going to roll smoother. How much time do you spend just walking out a putt uh, and assessing the grain and the changing of the color? Because you're going to see a really like almost like a whitish look on those downhill reeds, Mm -hmm. right? And then as you're looking up into the grain, it gets a lot darker. But the problem that we've had, and I know Piner 6 has a lot of this, so those 11-year-old girls are going to be playing Piner mm-hmm. 6, and the 12-year-old girls are going to be playing Pinehurst 5, and then we've got some boys playing Pinehurst 8, and obviously if you make it to the Van Horn Cup, you're playing Pinehurst 2. So uh, just about all the greens out there are Bermuda. And so everyone's going to kind of have that same assessment process as they're looking at these maybe, let's just call them 20 to 30-footers. When you walk that pot out and you're assessing just the grain and the color of the green, can you, can you talk about that for a minute? 
Yeah, so actually, I remember being on the very first hole of Piners number two, the first practice run I played out there. It was the first time last year I'd ever seen any of the Piners courses. I never played like out on the Pinehearts courses before. And I remember looking on that first green and immediately noticing how the green can play a really big role in the way the putt that rolls and how fast it goes. And so I'd walk to the other side of the hole and just strictly look at, okay, is this the grain by my ball, darker, lighter? How does it look on both sides? And so really walking around that hole and getting to look at all four angles is super important because you can look from one side of the hole and see, okay, there's severe grain to the right side of my ball that's going to cause it to break more than what I would have seen if I was standing right behind it. So it's really important to try to kind of walk around the whole green and really get a feel for mm-hmm. it. Yeah, the map's a little clearer there in Pinehurst, I think, because here it's not like that. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't have a grain situation mm-hmm. that we're dealing with at all on these bent grass. No. So when you circle your putt out here, Allie, I don't think that you have, I mean, you're feeling it with your feet, you're looking at it with your eyes, but out there, it's clear as day. There's a roadmap to yeah, each putt. There is. And it ends with the burn. Mm-hmm. And the burn is something that is, is established when the, when the cup is originally cut in the morning. Do you know anything about this? I mean, how, how does it even, it's like magic. It's like a magic secret to Pinehurst. Yeah, and I, any, really. I honestly don't know a whole lot about the burn. I haven't heard too much about it. I, of course, am really into like the green and reading it that way and just being aware of how much play the greens have gotten. But I don't know a whole lot about the burn and it sounds like it's something that's pretty important to know a lot about. I just don't know. I mean, that's why we yeah. threw it in there because I don't know if if I, I get it. I don't fully understand yeah. If it's if because it, sometimes it's not that trustworthy. It's almost like every single person always says everything moves to water, right? Like every mm-hmm. single putt moves to water. How many times mm-hmm. have you made a putt that was surrounded by water and it didn't move to the water? I mean, yeah. there are putts that yeah. exist that don't go, but yeah. every dad always points to their kid and say, mm-hmm. hey, "I told you the water's right there." Yeah, it's almost crazy, and that's the same thing that happens in the Carolinas with the burn. Is oh, trust the burn, trust the burn, trust the burn. Yeah, we we always ask when we're playing with like members. Where I was like what like how how do you trust the burn we always try to figure it out all right as a midwest player though you prefer the bent grass over over the bermuda because that transition can be difficult is it something that you're out of your comfort zone in when you get to carolina as being an illinois golfer your entire life playing on a certain type of green that transition has gotten easier for you over the years or do you start to look forward to the bermuda grass because it is something that i think that the most important thing to consider when you're going out to pinehurst is how am i going to read putts how am i going to roll the ball how am i going to make six footers six footers got really hard for you pal right yeah just because couldn't really read it right because i was just the speed and you have to have it it's hard to transition sometimes do you look forward to it yeah i mean i i honestly have gotten a lot better at transitioning from bent to bermuda greens the transition I still struggle with a little bit is actually the grass itself around the greens. So that's why I talk a lot about the importance of preparing yourself by chipping off of really tight lies because obviously from the Midwest, you're really used to chipping out of thick rough, having to hit these like short-sided flop shots where this rough is just like super deep and that you just don't really get that out in Pinehurst. And so really kind of adjusting to that and the Bermuda rough and different things like that is also just as important as getting ready for the greens. Um, in terms of, you know, the difference between bent Bermuda greens, like we've talked about, the grain is the biggest difference. And that's just something that if you kind of go on the practice greens and just practice that for a little bit before your first practice round or after a practice round before the tournament starts, you can kind of pick up on that pretty quick from doing a couple of practice putts. So speed is one of the most important things to consider when putting anywhere. But we feel that it matters even more when putting on Pinehurst greens. Does everything break late or what? It just always seems like the movement comes late on Bermuda, on Bermuda greens. Can you talk to that? 
Yeah, I definitely think everything kind of breaks a little bit later, especially on those faster greens. Um, I'm sure that Pinehurst is going to be very quick for both the Worlds and for North-South, um, as they always are. And so I would say that it's definitely something that you have to take into account when reading the putts is they're going to tend to fall off a lot more towards the end. And so you just kind of have to be prepared for that and maybe play your break a little bit higher than you typically would on bent greens because you don't always see that as much on bent greens, especially in the summers. You don't really see it much at all. Mm-mm. No, I don't think you do. And, and I think that was the one thing, is I, and I know that Ali's going to ask the question about that like four- and six-foot situation that we ran into a lot. But, you know, did, you, did, does it, did it take you longer than a week to adjust? Or do you feel like it's something that it it just can happen immediately, like that transition? Because that's really why we got you here. You know, you really have transitioned often from from here to there. And I think a lot of people are coming. I mean, I imagine even the Florida greens are quite different than North Carolina greens. I mean, Carolina has a different feel of the golf. It's it's very unique. The courses are, are unlike anywhere I've ever seen. And so we have to stay on the putting green for just a little bit longer because Allie said it. She wants to know, how do I get down to 26 strokes? And it isn't missing every green and chipping a close alley, just for the record, okay? We're not looking to just get up and down everywhere. We want to make birdies. Okay, we want to make birdies one hit a close. So uh, anything else that you can kind of throw in there as we move on to another conversation here? Because I do, we do want to get into that dupe mindset really soon here. Uh, mm-hmm. That might be like one last takeaway for you as, you as you started to find that you were capable of making more putts quicker, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Because some people are going to show up. They're going to have a practice round, and then they're going to be in the tournament. Not everybody has the luxury to go out to, to the Carolinas for a month and then learn how to putt there, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, that's true. And what you want to do when you first show up to the golf course, and if it's just you're showing up the day before doing a practice round and you're going to go play the tournament, you want to get to those greens, like you guys said. You know, ball striking is not going to be the top priority. That should be something that you're able to kind of prepare for before you go to the tournament. But once you get there, obviously top priority is really getting used to the greens, doing any drills you can where you're practicing the speeds, trying to kind of get to learn how much putts are breaking, the fall-off difference, things like that are what you really need to prioritize as soon as you set foot on Pinehurst. Give us some Blue Devil tips around the greens. Coach Brooks has won seven national championships. What have you learned from him when it comes to putting? One thing that I've learned from both my coaches, honestly, because they both know so much about the game of golf, is that it's really all feel-based. There's not a whole lot of mechanics that you can do. It's all just making sure that you're set up very well. Like we talked about, Allie, getting your eyes over the ball is really important. And making sure you're getting behind that ball, looking at the hole from that angle and getting to the other side of the hole and really reading the putts that way. And then just kind of really getting a feel for, you know, picking a spot to roll the ball over is just as important, especially on those grainy greens where you're going to have fall off. You just need to pick a spot to roll the ball over and really commit to it. Committing to that putt and just trusting that it's going to do what you want it to is really important because there's going to be times where you'll probably play a break on a putt a lot more than you want to or that you visualize it doing. And so it's just really important to trust it. Do you get some teammates at Duke that you, you spend a lot of time on the greens with putting and messing around? So we all kind of do a little bit of our own thing. Every once in a while, we'll kind of do like some putting together and kind of mess around. But besides that, we really don't like exchange tips too much. We all kind of work with our coaches together. So our coaches all kind of share the same information with each of us. And so we all just kind of interact in that way. None of them just amaze you. I mean, do you ever look at any of them and just like, oh, man. Oh, every day. You know, every day I watch them practice and each girl does something different, but still 
like incredible and it's just really cool to be able surrounded by you know five of the other best golfers in the country and just see certain girls hit flop shots that you were like wow I, can't, I didn't even think that's possible or you know putting drills that you never even thought of and you're just like wow that looks like it works really well I should try that out sometime talk and, about a few of those real quick mm-hmm. so there's a couple of drills that I've seen from my teammates where you know especially the shorter putting drills um, where they get around the hole and um, they'll try to make a certain amount out of 20 putts, but it's still random enough where you're going around the hole from each angle and hitting these putts, and then you'll go to a different hole, hit from those angles, and do those putts, and you just keep doing it that way. So you still have random putting, but from the same distance on different holes, and just things like that where it's like, wow, like you can get a lot done with short putting without hitting the same short putt over and over and over, and just giving yourself new scenarios on every single putt. Another good one you were showing Allie, too. That would be great to tell yeah. everybody about, Al, that, mm-hmm. that putting drill that you guys were doing. I really enjoyed that one. What was mm-hmm. the deal with that? Um, three ball? You, I mean, yes, you just called it three ball, ball putting whatever. drill. So, yeah, we would take three balls, one from the position that you putt from, and then one within, like, two feet behind the hole. So you drop two balls down, one where you're putting from, one behind the ball. And then the you're going to read your putt, and then you're going to take your last ball and put it where you want your putt to roll get go in the hole so if you hit that break that down Meg. explain it even better yeah so like you guys said you put that first ball wherever you're hitting the putt from whether it's six feet or 30 feet Mm -hmm. doesn't matter it's whatever you want to work on and then you're going to put your another ball between the hole and two feet past the hole because that's typically the speed you want to hit your putt and then that final ball after you read the green you're going to put it wherever you think it's going to fall in on the cup and then of course hit your putt and then break accordingly And that way you can learn if you hit the ball and it goes in, like, great, I did my line correctly, I had my speed right. Let's say you miss it, but the speed's good. You say, okay, my alignment's a little wrong, maybe I'm over-reading my putts, and you can learn from it just from doing that a couple times on the greens. Yeah, the trick of that one is just to make sure that you understand which side of the hole the ball falls in on, or which Mm -hmm. side is feeding, right, Mm -hmm. feeding to the hole. And so just seeing that just for five to ten minutes, it it was a really cool visual because – Allie was starting to make, you know, 20 footers, but she wasn't making the ball that she was stroking, right? The mm-hmm. ball that was falling into the cup was the ball that she placed just on the left edge of the cup. Yep. And as she read it, it was, she, I, th- I think the first one was maybe like a, maybe a one cupper, like one cup left. You yeah. put it outside one cup and it worked its way to the hole and it mm-hmm. hit that ball that was sitting on the edge. And she knows that ball that she rolled would have gone in. And uh, it was just a cool, it was just kind of a cool visual I think we're going to take and, and use a lot because mm-hmm. especially you said at Pinehurst, that's something that works really, yeah. really well, right? Yeah, that's uh, definitely going to be one of the first drills I do when I get to Pinehurst just because you can really learn a lot about the greens and about the way that you're putting on those greens from doing that drill, right? You can see how your speed is compared to the yeah, greens. Yeah, because what if you miss the ball as it goes by? Yeah, then that kind of tells you like for me, a tendency is I tend to overread putts. So knowing me I'll probably get out there I might be like missing the ball on the high side so then I'll say okay you know my speed's really good but I just need to like dial it down a little bit on the break that I'm playing or vice versa maybe I need to play a little more however um I kind of learn that as I go are you sick of talking about putting not really putting's fun good because you're a psychology major right yeah that's your deal so Mm -hmm. with psych comes strong mind you have to be able to dig deep here into the mm-hmm. psyche of a human being. So into yourself as a putter now, you got to have a super, super strong mind. Can you talk about your mindset around the greens? I mean, it's it, there's nothing more important than stepping on the green knowing you're going to make a putt. Allie does this all the time. My favorite thing in the world <laughs> is when she sees a putt and she looks at me and she goes, I like this putt. 
That's always like, so there's fun. There's just some times where you just see it and you're like, oh, I have the line and I know what speed to put on it. It just feels good to her. Mm-hmm. And then more often than not, she either hits the cop or you know she gives it a great run. I'm not asking for it to go in, but those are the types yeah. of things that I want to see. That confidence mindset. Mm-hmm. You? Yeah, the biggest thing is having clarity. You know, if you have clarity on a putt and the way that it's going to break, it definitely makes a big difference in, um, I think, mentally, the odds that you have of making it. If you're confident and you know how the putt's going to roll, then you're going to have a better chance of it going in than if you're just hitting it like, oh, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what's going to happen. If you can at least pick a spot and commit to it, that's going to give you a better chance of making it. And something else that I actually think really helped my putting get even better was not getting upset when I miss putts. Because you can hit so many good putts, especially on greens, as as hard as the Pinehurst greens are and you can still miss them and instead of being like oh my gosh you know now I have a three pot and a bogey and getting all upset about it you say okay I hit that putt on the line I wanted it was the speed I wanted it just didn't go in you know that's that's life that's golf for you so you just kind of say that to yourself move on to the next hole and just keep doing that process on every green yeah some putts don't look so good though when you're staring at them they're intimidating right you Mm -hmm. don't know which way it's going to move you Mm -hmm. sit there and you look at it from one side and it's moving left to right and then you go to the other side and it's right to left and then it gets confusing so that that in that situation though i need to understand how you get to a place where you're confident and comfortable in putting that Mm -hmm. yeah so what I'll really do on the greens, especially during like a high intense, high pressure moment during a tournament, is I'll make sure I check every side of the cup, all four sides, and I'll try to just find the low point on that cup. You know, if it's kind of sitting left to right, so the right side's a little lower, I'll say, okay, here's where the low point is, here's where I see it. So then at least I can get back to the back to my ball and say, okay, I may not know exactly how much this is going to break, or if it's going to break left to right and then right to left, whatever, if it's a long putt. But I can at least say towards the end of the hole, I know the cup's going this way, so I know it's going to fall off towards the end of the hole, and that's how I'm going to play the, the break on the putt going towards the hole. So one question that I have for you is how do you make four- or six-foot putts feel like kickins? My question is do you firm everything in with a little bit of break, or, you, do, or do you diet to the cup with more break? I love to diet. I love to diet into the hole. I think it honestly kind of takes off a lot more pressure when you do that because then at least you know if you end up missing it for some reason, you're not going to have another four or five footer coming back. And so I've really gotten used to that kind of putting and I like to dive into the holes. And when you get on faster greens like Pinehurst, that actually can be a little bit easier than if you kind of want to firm it in because if you end up missing it on a 11 you know, rolling green, it's going to roll a lot past the hole and you're going to have another pressure putt. Is that a common back. answer you think for most of your teammates? I'd say it's like 50-50. Yeah, how, do those, how do those girls or guys decide that they're just going to rip it at the cup i mean it takes some i can't do that i like to diet too mm-hmm. yeah i i some of the, so the girls on the team that i'll play with i'll watch them hit putts and they just like roll it in right center cup and i'm like hey i mean i respect it but that's not how i roll i mean everybody i guess plays the game of golf differently and will you know kind of mentally and visually just see see things differently especially on the putting greens i need to take a break from this uh pinehurst thing okay you played in the u.s open mm-hmm. wild stuff now what's even crazier to me we we're on the range and we we're talking and meg's got some brothers and they're apparently studs because one of them's a monster linebacker for purdue i'm sure he's a beast he carries your bag still you said you love when he carries your bag mm-hmm. uh and he he caddied you at the open and you were like just out of high school when you played the Open, and he's your younger brother. So you guys were like a combined age of like 35 out there. You had a 17-year-old <laughs> guy carrying his 19-year-old sister's bag in a U.S. Open. Do you know how ridiculous that sounds? 
-hmm. what was that experience like there's like two young kids just out on the course just playing two <laughs> rounds of golf and p.s you almost made the cut I think you played pretty well. I'm sure mm -hmm. you were proud of the way that you played out mm -hmm. there, right? You were, I think you were like maybe like plus six at the end of the two days. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what the cut line was, but I'm sure it was only, you were only two or three off yeah, the cut. Yeah, it was like three or four over. I so you're remember. right there and you had a 17-year-old on your bag. What's your brother's mm -hmm. name? Ben. What's Ben's deal? Can he, can, he, can he move it a little bit too? I mean, can he play or is he just hitting people in the Big Ten right now? <laughs> yeah, I think he's too busy hitting people in the Big Ten. Um, both my brothers just love to, you know, those high, like the super fast-paced sports where you're just running, hitting people. That kind of thing is what they love, but that also just makes them competitors. You know, they're just straight-up competitors and athletes, and so they can get on the golf course with me, specifically Ben, and he just loves being on that stage. He lives for it, and you know, just seeing him be excited and be into it and not be nervous at all kind of really helped put me at ease too. Just I'm with my brother, you know, like he knows me really better than almost anyone else does. And he had been caddying for me since we were actually really young. The first time he caddied for me was in a U.S. Junior Girls when he was like 12 years old. So although we were pretty young, he actually did have some experience. And I think it was actually really cool to be able to go through that. Were with you him. better with him on the bag than you would have been with a, 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 somebody that could read and give you every line out there? I think so. Um, it's actually kind of nice to have him on the bag because I find it comforting to have someone who doesn't know golf as well. You know, someone who can, someone who can just talk to me and keep my mind off things. You know, I'll hit a tee shot at like high fade. I might not be happy with it. And he'll be like, that looks pretty good to me. You know, like he, <laughs> his standards are just so much lower that it just really keeps me at ease and just makes things a lot more fun. And um, it really actually kind of helps me to trust myself more when I only can rely on my own opinion. So you're offering advice to the caddies out there, meaning the daddy caddies out there, and how to handle a... I don't know, a junior golfer's mindset. Maybe everything is a little better than, maybe we need to make it out to be better than it really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think really just keeping the kids' minds at ease, you know, just talking to them about other things and just making the experience enjoyable for them is going to make their golf just that much better. You know, if you're out there and it's super intense and it's like every putt they miss, everyone's getting upset and it's like just super competitive, that's going to actually probably make it a lot more wearing for the kids. And so, if there's one piece of advice I can give, it's just to go out there and just have fun and just enjoy it. You know, they're only the same. That's age hard once. to do. You're trying to win. I know, they don't I say know. that to us because you're, you're. It's not always <laughs> fun. You're a competitor. You mm. want to win, and, and then there's pressure to perform after you worked for two months at trying to get ready for a big event. So, mm -hmm. uh, how do we keep our insanity uh, and keep keep even keel? Uh, even keels, obviously. So I'm sure you guys talk about that at Duke, right? Don't mm -hmm. play with a lot of emotion. You know, I don't mm -hmm. know. What, what, how do you preach that? Mm -hmm. It's just perspective, you know, just really kind of giving yourself perspective on the golf course, um, just making sure you're doing everything that you're supposed to do in terms of your process when you're picking a club or hitting a putt and reading the greens and just knowing that you're doing what you're supposed to and whether it works out or not sometimes is actually, it's actually out of your hands more than you think it is. Um, so you really just kind of have to do the controllables and then whatever happens from there happens. You know, the, uh, the old north-south, let's get back to it. So when you get to Pinehurst, the first thing that you're going to notice is there's sand everywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so with regard to the sand, I know it can be different in different locations. So do you find that Pinehurst sand is any different than from what you usually play in the Midwest? I would say yes. I think it's a little different. I think it's a little grainier. I, I've noticed sometimes the sand out here in the Midwest almost has more of like a clay or like really thick texture to it especially out on some of the Pinehurst courses, mm -hmm. you know, it's a little grainier. Sometimes it cannot actually have a lot of sand in it. It can be deceiving and look like there's more sand than it is. Um, and so, you know, just going out there and just really kind of, I think getting on the putting greens and getting the bunkers are the two things that are super important. 
Um, even, you know, some of those waste bunkers out there are going to be a, a lot different than obviously what you encounter in the Midwest. So spending time on that is key. I'm still learning how to apply out of different types of sand. Can you help me move the process along? And what are some tips on playing in different type of sand? So the biggest difference between the sand that you'll encounter in the Midwest that's kind of a little thicker, more clay-like compared to um, Pinehurst is you obviously want to try to get out here and you're trying to like kind of get under the ball really quick because it's pretty easy to chunk shots out here. Um, when you get out to Pinehurst, it's sometimes a different story because that sand can be like grainier and thinner, like I said. And so really what you want to try to do is um, you want to try to really just kind of get under the ball and just kind of like what we worked on today where mm-hmm. you're kind of like almost getting that bottom of the club to kind of bounce off the sand so you can try to get it up high in any way that you possibly can because not only are those bunkers going to be difficult to get out of, but it's also really hard to hold the greens. Yeah, yeah. you talked about hitting higher shots out of the sand. So talk mm-hmm. technique about how, how you would coach mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So the first thing you always want to make sure you're doing is you're trying to get that club head as far away from the ground as possible. The further away you can kind of get that, that club head away from the ground, the more you can hinge your wrist, the better you're going to be able to get the ball up. So the more you do that, the more you can get the ball up really high and try to get it to kind of land softly and get a lot of spin on it. So you want to do that. You want to try to open the face up. You can also kind of mess around with your grip a little bit, um, you know, do a little bit of a weaker grip. That can help. And the final thing that you really want to make sure you do is keep your weight forward at all times. You always, no matter what, in the bunker, want to make sure you keep your weight forward. It's going to help you to get through the ball and make sure that you're able to really kind of like bounce it off the ground and pop it up pretty high. Yeah, you did that today. I, I yeah, think that was a big change for you, right? the one thing I worked on because I used to lean back, which I thought would help me get the ball higher, which... Apparently it doesn't now that I, from what I've learned today. So, That's good stuff. Yeah. 20, 25 to 40 yards is always a nightmare for you too, oh, right? Yeah, I definitely. Mean that, even if, in, Meg, you said to me today, yeah, that's, that's a fairway bunker shot. I said, but Meg, the, we're on the, we're, we're green side. Like we're, we're, we just, we just missed the green, but it's a, it's a back right pin and we got mm-hmm. 30 yard carry and, it, you know, we got 45 to the pin. And, and what did you say about that today? I still view it as, you know, a fairway bunker shot. If you were to take your ball out of the bunker and put it just right behind that same bunker, you're going to view it as your typical, like, three-quarter wedge shot you hit with your 58-degree or something like that, where if you put it in the bunker, it's really no different. You know, it's still going to be the same as a fairway bunker shot or a wedge shot you would hit. You just need to make sure that you treat it a little bit differently. And yeah, so and I think picking a clean maybe is, the, is yep. the way to go there. I mean, I think Allie's had maybe five or six looks from that yardage recently. Yeah, And it's just tough to convince yourself to take that clean swing because mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is thin it and, and mm-hmm. hit it 20 yards over the hole, especially mm-hmm. when you're in a good position and you feel like you can get up and down for, you know, in that last situation was you were trying to get up and down for birdie, right? But yeah. more often than not, I think we leave that short and that Definitely might be a problem. That twice. It might be a problem a lot, right? Well, yeah, I'm saying when I was in the tournament I just recently played, I had that 40 to 30 yard shot twice and I left it short both times. And that might happen to people out there in Pioneer Slot because there's tons of waste bunkers and mm-hmm. natural sand out there. Oh, yeah. um, and obviously, uh, that's, a, that's a good thing, too, because all of Pinehurst was built on sand, so it drains incredibly well. So, you know, once you see that situation, but you're going to be put in some different spots, including pine needles, you know, and waste mm-hmm. bunkers. Mm-hmm. And these aren't shots that we're used to hitting. They're very different. Nobody can really prep for that. Yep. The pine needles, I remember, are just like, they're so slippery you know when you swing your feet might jump out from underneath Mm -hmm. you and it sits up like almost fluffy on top of those needles Mm -hmm. 
And um, more often than not, you've had success off the needles in the yeah, three just, or four. For some reason, it just feels easy, but it, sometimes it can't be. Yeah, so how do you approach that? Because we can't practice it. Yeah, so it, especially in the pine needles, it's so easy to kind of slide underneath that. I feel like even mm-hmm. more than that 30, 40-yard bunker shot can be. And so um, that's obviously not something you can really be like, oh, I'm going to go to the range and practice my pine needle shots. And so something <laughs> you really want to practice is just making sure that opposite to your typical bunker shot, you kind of want to keep your arms a little further away from your body and just make sure you're really trying to feel like you're pinching it even more than you would in the fairway. But besides that, it's really not going to be much different than a fairway shot if you think about it. You love pinching it. You always talk it. about that. I love it. What is yeah. it? I just, especially like with, I love spinning the ball. And so, you know, really getting that forward shaft lean and getting as much power you can that way is going to help you to really pinch it and get the ball to take off. And it's going to reduce the odds of you, you know, catching a heavy and, um, I think that's something I become really frustrated with is catching the ball on the heavy side. So I always just try to like get that forward lean and get as much power that way in lag and just try to pinch it and knock it up there. Does uh, pinch mean kind of hit it solid or pure or does it just mean something else? Yeah, I mean, when you're in the fairways, yes. But honestly, when I'm in something like the pine needles, I try to feel like it's a little bit on the thinner side just because, okay. you know, it's pretty easy to catch it really heavy. And so to err a little bit on the thinner side, in my opinion, is totally okay. And really pinching it, when I say pinching it, is meaning that you're hitting right down on the ball, right where it meets the grass. So you're hitting like the grass and the ball like the same time. Yeah, super tight. Like yeah. I just, yeah. you know, when we talk about hit it tight, keep it, keep it short and tight, I think it's the same thing. Pinching it just sounds better. So clearly yeah. we <laughs> need to change our, our lingo, right? Because you had, I just watched you chipping. Everything is, is real, what I describe as tight, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I've never instructed anyone to try to thin the, a ball. But mm-hmm. thinking about some of those shots... And there are some other, I remember in Midland Country Club, the little rinky-dink nine-holer. You played in Pinehurst. You played in World Championships, mm-hmm. didn't you? Mm-hmm. How many I times? I played in a couple. I played in three. So she's yep. played in three, so she knows what's up. And sometimes <laughs> you get that airier, fluffier rough out there. Mm-hmm. The rough was in, and poor little Lucy had like, she was playing okay. She, she, hit, she hit a ball on the left side, and she had something where it was just sitting up, and her club slid right underneath it. It basically hit the top of her hybrid and it went over her right shoulder like into the water she had to take a drop it was a nightmare made an eight and shot like 44 or something like that and so those lies exist too right Mm -hmm. and so that's a situation i think where you really have to assess for your child for yourself what type of what's the worst possible scenario that could happen here that was Mm -hmm. the worst possible scenario for that kid and the pine needles the worst possible scenario would be that you just just get underneath early Mm -hmm. and because they're so easily mobile you can slide right underneath that thing and i'm going to assure you that missing heavy as opposed to missing thin in those types of situations is a nightmare yep so i think that's a good i think that's a good takeaway right i mean Mm -hmm. think thinking thin once in a while might be a good thing out there tight lies are common in north carolina I know when I practice chipping, there is a very different, they're very different than home. Does anything change for you when playing on Bermuda grass when it comes to chipping? So when I get to Bermuda grass, um, especially for some reason, Bermuda grass on Pinehurst is just a lot different than some of the other Bermuda grass I encounter. For some reason, it always feels like it's way firmer and it's mm-hmm. not as fluffy. Sometimes the, sometimes the Bermuda grass grass that I play on will actually still be a little fluffy in a way like it's not like it's very hard to hit chips off of it especially higher ones you can still kind of get under in a little bit but the ones in Pinehurst for some reason are just always super firm and I mean that's probably why it's a championship level golf course 
But what I always try to do um, is, is, even with the high shots, is sometimes I'll try to just kind of really like catch it a little bit more on the toe side because that'll kind of help me to um, really get it up higher without like accidentally thinning or chunking the ball. You ever lift your heel up before you chip of your club? We were just with somebody the yes, other day in Ohio yes, that yeah. said, you know what we started doing was we started lifting our heel up yeah, and try to really play it off the toe. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned playing chips off of the yeah, toe. Yeah, because that was a big struggle I had when I was trying to really learn how to get good at flop shots off of really tight lies was I would just always thin it. Like I just, it was just so hard for me to take a big swing and get through it without thinning it. Like I just couldn't trust it very well. And so that was a tip that was given to me that helped a lot was sometimes to feel like you're getting a little bit more up on the toe because then that way you can actually kind of bounce it a little bit easier and still catch the ball pretty clean. You create more spin off of those lies though, don't you? In the grass and Pinehurst? Yeah. 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 And, and do you play, do you play a lot of spin? Yeah, I play, I play a decent amount of spin, and um, especially, you know, any kind of wet shot 50 yards and in, like, I try to play more spin just because those greens can be so fast and so so unpredictable that I like to just really kind of get it just past the flag and just kind of spin it back a little and just try to keep it there. I don't like to really roll it a whole lot because sometimes the undulations and things like that can get a little bit confusing. What other elements are there in Pinehurst that we should certainly cover? Definitely the heat. It's a big Boom. one. There it is. That was a, mm-hmm. I put it on a T. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's yeah. hot there. It's very hot. A little bit. Just a little, just a little warm. warm. I mean, it's not Savannah in the summer hot. It's, it, but it is, it'll, it'll wear you out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time at Duke practicing out in those conditions. So you're the expert. What do you do? Well, the biggest thing is hydration. You know, you got to make sure you're drinking enough water. Even when you don't think you need water, you still need more water. And one piece of advice that was given to me earlier this year, um, back in the fall, that really helped me a lot was in terms of hydration mixes, you know, like whether it's, I know noon tablets is a big one that kids use. There's other ones that on certain tours they give out for kids to use. Um, Just making sure that you actually drink those before you play around, like two, three hours before you play the round, have your hydration mixes, because in that way it kind of like will get through your system, you'll digest it. And that sodium and the other things that are in it will help you to, um, like, take that water in and really kind of, like, not sweat it all out throughout the day. So that's definitely one of, like, the most important pieces of advice that I can give. Yeah, but you're about to go to the North and South Am. I don't care Mm -hmm. how much you drink. You're going to qualify. You're going to make it through that first day. Second day. You play two, you play four, right? And you're going to go low both days. And we'll probably get to watch a little bit of that action. It's going to be fun. And then you're going to get into that match play situation where now mm-hmm. you're really getting tested. It's a drag, knockdown, drag out battle. Yep. I don't care how much noon drink you have, <laughs> you're going to struggle out there. Yeah. What are you bringing water? Are well, you bringing towels? You, you're cooling yourself off around your. I mean, it's going to be 110 degrees at some point out there mm-hmm. for us. So when you get to match play, you're going to need to win, and then you're going to need to win again. And then you can probably tug away about like 40 holes on any given day and then wake up and do it again the next day. And yeah. the Junior Am is going to be like that way at Carolina Country Club for mm-hmm. these guys. Yep. So what are we going to do? So cooling towels is a really big one for me. Shade is another one. Um, if you're finding it, whatever course that you're on, if there's not a lot of shade for some reason, just have an umbrella with you. You know, you might be like, oh, it might look a little weird. Why would I walk around with an umbrella when it's sunny and 100 degrees? But, like, having that shade makes a big difference. It goes a really long way, mm-hmm. especially if you have a long day where you're playing multiple matches or, you know, you got a late tee time, then an early one the next day or something like that. You want to try to find any little thing you can to kind of give your body a little bit of a break from that sun. And so having an umbrella, those cooling towels, and just water at all times is really important.
All right, we're going to move into those uh, approach shots a little bit. I mean, obviously, the, Donald Ross is known for their turtle back greens. Not all of those courses have it. I was telling you earlier, like, number one plays at, like, 5,600 yards at the tips. And mm-hmm. people go out there, and they're like, oh, okay, there's nine Pinehurst courses. Let's figure out which one. Oh, this one looks like we should probably play it because it's shorter, and we can throw a number up on the board. Mm-hmm. And it is the furthest from the truth. They'll go out there and they'll play that course. And actually, it might be actually, no, it's not one. It's three. It's, it's Pinehurst I've three. I've played it twice. Way. And Pinehurst three tears guys apart. These guys are like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to hit it. I hit it 320 yards. Well, you're not even allowed to hit it 320 out there because some of those par fours are like way under that. And oh. then you get tight around those greens on three. And it's like. They've got a really cool little logo. They're working that logo, and they got nice little short sticks. They got the short pins, and they got the, the mm-hmm. nice triangular three. Yeah. Uh, it's like a yellow and maroon pattern on it. Good tees. When you're at Pinehurst, go to the courses and get the tees. They got custom tees at oh, four, yeah. custom tees at I eight. I love the Pinehurst four tees. <laughs> you got custom tees at two. You got you got custom tees at three, and it's funny because at three they got the shorter tees. And then mm-hmm. there's a secret tee. You know about the secret tee? I've never heard about the secret tee. Well, well, I'm intrigued. Ellie, you know about the secret tee? Oh yeah. It's a, there's a there's a little bird box. I actually it's by the nest. It's in the nest um, where you like can get like food. There's this little like bird's nest, and, you're, and I saw it one time. I was like, why are those teeth sticking out of it? And then a little bit later, my dad mentions it when we get back home. He's like, oh, d- did you see the secret teeth? And I was like, yes, I did. So we came back the next year. And this just filled up to the top. We grab a handful. It's like these, it's like these nest little, tees. Yeah, they're the woodpecker tees. Nice. There's an endangered woodpecker out there. In between oh, wow. two and four, yeah. there's mm-hmm. a halfway house. They got some. I think they've got some really cool ball markers that they sell there as well. Yeah, so, and we um, saw those. We love this stuff. Obviously, yeah, we love this definitely. stuff. So, but mm-hmm. three has the turtleback greens everywhere. The Donald mm-hmm. Ross greens, and even though it's short, you know you're gonna see that the scores are really high there. And it's they're high because they're hard to hold. There's a lot yeah. of false fronts. Um, there's a lot of shots that, that don't, the greens don't receive it as well unless you're coming in from really high. You're, not, you're certainly not gonna run anything up there low. So when you're dealing with those types of greens, because you shot one under on the Piners too during the North and South last year, mm-hmm. and you probably played okay for you. You think there's a better number out there than one under for you, so you can, you don't have much trouble. I mean, even on, on the first hole on Piners too, you've got you've got to contend with those turtleback greens. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? I would say the biggest thing is, especially if you have wedge shots for some reason. I always find wedge shots actually to be very hard to kind of hold on greens based on spin and how it'll react and things like that. So actually sometimes going up a club and really hitting like a high soft swing can actually help a lot more. Those can be a lot softer than if you're trying to hit like a, like a full wedge. You're trying to like, you know, get in an extra five yards. That's going to spin too much. It's going to be uncontrollable. And that's going to be the same with, you know, if you're between a five and a, or six and a five iron, you know, sometimes trying to hit that full six might actually make it a little bit harder to hold that green than if you're hitting more of a knockdown, really soft five. Because getting those full swings, those are more unpredictable. You don't know how it's going to react with spin and things like that. And it can take off or it can like go, come up short if you don't catch it the right way. And so sometimes going up a little bit more club and just being a little bit more softer with your swing will actually create a softer result. That's interesting. Yeah, clubbing up a little bit. I've never heard that. We're going to talk a little bit about that rough, I think. Even though we have yeah. once, I just think, I don't know if we, we hammer that enough. So the rough is very different, as we've talked about it's, it's shorter, thinner, but sometimes creates the same type of problems. I know Midwest rough is thicker, heavier, and longer. Is your thought process the same when trying to play out of that rough? 
Yeah, so we, we mentioned it earlier, really judging the lines is important. Um, there's a lot of times where you can get a line in the Midwest where, you know, you have it sitting up really soft and you're like, oh, this is going to slide under it. You can still have that sometimes on the Bermuda rough as well, but it's all about really judging the lies and making sure that you understand kind of how it's going to react. And so when it sits higher in the Bermuda, it's still going to do something similar to when it sits high in like a flyer line. Yeah. It's going to be kind of like a flyer line kind of thing, or it's going to come out like, like really high and a lot less than you think. You might catch it like you told the story about where, you know, you're sitting high with the hybrid and you just go right under it. So that can still happen, obviously, on the Bermuda rough. Um, but where it's different is sometimes when it's sitting down. That can be a little bit harder to predict if you're coming from the Midwest because, you know, you're so used to, you know, sitting way down the rough like, oh, my gosh, it's going to pop out super low. And sometimes in the Bermuda rough when it sits down, it is actually still going to pop out a lot, but it's just going to roll out quite a bit once it hits that green. I was almost going to say I'd compare that to like being placed in a divot in the middle of the fairway. Yeah. I don't know you play that shot similarly where you're almost taking a more of a knockdown approach yeah. at it mm-hmm. um, and, and hoping that you gauge the rollout correctly. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's it's misleading because when you look at that rough, if you're from our area, it's not that intimidating. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like it looks out here. Like out here, you got to get after it when you're in the when you're buried. Out there, it, if, because I have an ego now, because I'm used to hitting out all this heavy, mm-hmm. thick stuff, then you get to Pinehurst and you're like, look at this little baby rough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Look at this little baby <laughs> rough. I can't, this thing ain't gonna, it can't get me. And then it does, it feels like it does the same thing. You know, it's the same type of problem. So uh, that's another assessment situation like you're, you're talking yeah. about. You really got to gauge that lie um, and make a good decision yeah. about it. So uh, North and South Am is super special. It's, it's special to us. I know it's going to be special after you make a run this year. Um, made it to the round of 32 last year, and then you got big plans uh, for this summer. What do you love most about that event? Well, last summer was the first time I played in it, and I didn't really know what to expect with it. You know, I mean, I'd heard a couple of people playing it, but I'd never been to Pioneers. So I'd never, like, really had thought about playing in the tournament. I just always kind of missed out on it. And then going out there for the first time and seeing that course and just the way that it was run, it's just really special. Honestly, I can kind of compare it to a USGA event. I thought it was run really well. And just the way it's set up and just the, the level of golf that you see out there is really special. And you literally get people that come from all over the country to play there. And I think that's really cool. You know, you don't see that in too many events. And so that's something that I'm really excited to kind of see again. And it's going to be a super competitive event with uh, there's girls coming in from California and all over the place. And it's going to be a lot of fun to be able to go out there and compete. It's not just the the women that have the AM. The men have their North and South AM. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a junior AM for the for the littles there's mm-hmm. uh, for both boys and girls there's an adult version of this too there's like six to eight <laughs> north and south amateurs mm-hmm. and everybody knows that i think by now but also it, they've now placed themselves as the preeminent u.s open host location they're mm-hmm. an anchor site and so everyone will always be prepping for pinehurst because every mm-hmm. four to five years now the men are going to have their open there and i'm fairly confident when you're playing on tour which will happen you're going to have an opportunity to play in a major event at pinehurst mm-hmm. as well so i think what makes this podcast great is obviously everybody just flows into pinehurst every summer and for big events but they're doing it for their entire career so mm-hmm. if you're a junior golfer and you're hopeful to play at Midland Country Club as a six-year-old boy, you're also going to be uh, a junior player who's trying to qualify for USGA AM and play at the North Carolina Country Club mm-hmm. or a man trying to play in the Open. So that's why I think this is a really unique podcast. And, and somebody like you who spends so much time at Duke 
in North Carolina, do you think that you have a bit of an advantage, or do you think some of your teammates, because Gina Kim's going to be playing it, is Erica mm-hmm. playing this summer yes. as well? So you've yes, got she is. three. Is there an, is uh, Anna? Phoebe Brinker is going to be there too. So, so you've got your entire yep. roster playing in this. Yeah, thing. basically. So Duke will be well represented. Mm-hmm. Are we yep. expecting big things out of the Dukies in this thing? What about that? Finding each other maybe in that like Sweet Sixteen round, battling out with your girl Shepherd. <laughs> is that something that you ever even thought about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about that quite a bit, especially because we see each other at so many tournaments now that it's always a possibility that can happen. And I think it would be really fun. You know, we're both so competitive. We both know what we would expect out of each other. Like we're would both going to would the trash talk be high? I think it would. I think it would be there. I definitely think it would be there. You know, especially kind of like warming up before the round, going on the tee, we'd be looking at each other like, "Yeah, you ready to do this?" Um, I think that'd be really fun. And but like anything, you're super competitive. So at some point during that match, you're going to dislike each other because you're out there to win. Yeah, and I. But I think what's really cool is because of our friendship and how much golf we've played together, especially with four ball. Um, you know, we understand that we're both going to be competitive and both kind of, you know, be like, oh, we want to win. But at the end of the day, we're still best friends. And those are two very separate things. We actually had a match play event. We did at Duke in the fall. And so we all would play each other in matches. And those got like really super intense. You know, you're coming down the last hole all square and all of us are like, obviously, we want to win. And, you know, we then would finish the match. You know, whoever won would you'd shake hands. Good job. But you then guys are so good. I mean, how much pushing happens there just to keep up with each other at Duke? I mean, we push each other, you know, on a daily basis. And that's one of the main reasons I chose Duke was because, you know, I'm surrounded by these girls that are so good and we can all teach each other so much. And we all know that we obviously all want to be the best. We all want to play professionally and we respect that. And we're more than happy to really demand the best out of each other. So what was the recruiting process for you like? So I first started getting recruited back in middle school. I took my first visit and got my first offer in eighth grade from Wisconsin. And basically from there, you know, I started visiting more schools in the South, SEC, ACC. That was really a big thing for me was getting out of the cold weather. I just, I couldn't take it anymore. Um, You know, I did a lot of the the winter trips where you go go down to Florida, play some tournaments, see swing coach and just try to practice on the grass as much as possible but I knew that wasn't something I wanted to do in the long run and you know to be able to have the opportunity to go to somewhere like Duke where they have great golf and great academics those were both so important to me and you know I just wanted to go somewhere where I had a chance to win a national championship. It's kind of hard for us to understand that eighth grade thing now because they've NCAA has made big changes to their recruiting Mm -hmm. process I mean I think the 15th of June was the first day that that juniors the incoming juniors could be contacted. Everybody's shouting them out. You know, Stanford's sending out emails. Duke's getting after their people now. Um, and there's that, like, unknown variable that exists for juniors now because nobody really has that that ability to get a, get a talk to in, in eighth yeah. grade. You were getting talked to in eighth grade. So tell us what your game looked like as an eighth grader so people that are playing at this level might have some perspective on how good their kid is because I think that's lost. You know, you were probably playing AJGA in eighth grade, playing Mm -hmm. in big events. Give us some numbers, give us some highs, give us some lows. Mm -hmm. So I would say back in eighth grade when I'd play AJGAs and some MAJDTs on our local tour here, I would probably shoot anywhere from mid-70s to low-80s. That was pretty typical of me. You know, I'd have a good tournament where I'd shoot 72, 73 a couple times, and that would be a really good week for me. Yardage? uh, Anywhere from 58 to 6,000 was pretty standard you know HHA can get a little bit longer sometimes closer to 62 but at that age it was mostly 58 to 6,000 yards Um, and so for me really the only thing I think that stood out 
not only to myself but to some coaches as well I think was how far I hit the ball at that time you know like I told you guys earlier I was pretty tall at a pretty young age so you know I've had this height and this distance for a longer amount of time um and I think that just really kind of presented a lot of potential to coaches and I think that kind of helped me out and I think with recruiting at a young age I think it's just really important to kind of make sure you're showing that because no coach expects you to go out there and you know be shooting under par and winning tournaments when you're 14 15 years old um they also just really want to see how you kind of deal with adversity and how you deal with the poor golf and Mm -hmm. when you're not playing well right because that's going to happen at any level and so you know at a younger age they really want to see kind of how you handle that and they're not really all the time going to get super upset if you go out and shoot an 80 and you're not happy about that. They're going to want to kind of see how you deal with it and how you practice after and um, those kind of steps that you take. Well, there's a ton of pride that comes with playing for Duke. you got to wear that badge of honor constantly when you're walking around. How does that feel as a kid, you know, from where we're from, being able to play at that stage at this level? Yeah, sometimes I still think about it and I just like I'm just in awe just because it's it's such an incredible place and I remember the first time I visited I just fell in love immediately and I just knew that it was the place for me you know you just everyone talks about that feeling they get and I just had that for me and so you know to be able to come home now and have my Duke bag and wear the Duke gear and go and practice like that it's just like the little kid in me just couldn't be happier you know little eight-year-old me ten-year-old me is just like this is the coolest thing in the world because like so many people want to have this kind of opportunity and I got lucky enough to have the chance no you didn't (laughs) did she get lucky is there any luck involved in this no (laughs) it's hard work hard work and you worked hard determination yeah and you obviously are relentless in your pursuit to be great and before we let you go we just have to know I mean are there any other junior golf moments are there any other things throughout this process that you cherish you and your dad probably spent so much time together Uh, we already mentioned your brothers and and your mom's Mm -hmm. been on your bag a ton for really big events when you qualified for the u.s open she was carrying your bag so as you if we don't spend some time talking family here we're going to have a problem (laughs) this family's going to be listening to this so Mm -hmm. you know let's just reminisce through that process because i'm hopeful that you know my daughters will tear up at some point when they really think about what we did together throughout this journey so as you reflect on that what's what's what are some of the emotions that come I'm going to like start crying now that I think about it. Um, But like, I think one of the coolest moments that I shared with my dad, um, just because we've been through so much together ever since I, he's the reason I started golf. And we, you know, from that moment up until now, you know, he's always supporting me and working with me and helping me with my game in any way possible. Um, I got injured the end of my sophomore year and I missed that whole entire summer of golf. I completely lost my ranking, all my status. I was lucky enough to get like an injury exemption for the next year so I could still get into tournaments because I didn't even have any stars. Like if you looked up my name on rankings, I wasn't even like, who's Megan Fernie? I wasn't there. And so I went out to an open event, like the middle of the summer, it was like end of July with my dad. And he actually had driven up for the final round because my mom was with me at the start. You know, they had to do the good swap with my brothers and all that good stuff. And I was like four shots off the league going into the final round. And I ended up finishing, like, I finished, like, birdie eagle to get into a playoff. And my dad was out there following, and we go to the playoff hole. I kind of hit a bit of a poor drive, a little right, so I had to punch out of the trees. And so I get up there, and I ended up chipping in to win the playoff hole. And I remember just turning to my dad and, like, just, just totally started crying. We both were just hugging each other crying because, you know, I went from not knowing when I'd play golf again and being really frustrated because it was hard for me to get into tournaments to you know sharing that moment with him after we had been through so much together and like 
it just was a moment where, you know, he was with me every single step of the way. And for him to be able to see that was really special to me. Just the best. That, yep. is, that is as good as it gets. That's like yesterday we saw John Gutierrez hug Aiden after he shot five under to qualify for the U.S. Junior again. We had him on, mm-hmm. and they told us all about what that experience was like and, you know, how they roll out the red carpet for you. And all of that stuff, the medals are great and the awards are great. But there was a picture that was taken of him holding his son's face staring into his eyes with pride like that sense of pride and i mean i can't imagine that your dad and your family doesn't have that for you every time they look at you when you're walking around in your duke gear when you're showing up at these big events or when they get to see you play pinehurst too that you you know they know that you've done so much to get to this point and you're going to continue to press i mean i asked you are you going to come back as you know you got a you got an extra year now don't you covid Mm -hmm. gave you an extra year what are you going to do with that We'll see. Time will tell. You know, it's it's kind of like a like I said, a time sensitive thing, depending on when I want to go pro. But it's definitely an opportunity I'd love to take. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and so that's my point. Your yeah. your will see means your golf career may not be over at the end of this thing. And I yeah. think most people's golf career stops before college. And those of us that are lucky send their kids to play college golf, and then most mm-hmm. of those kids stop too. And the fact that you're sitting here saying we'll see means it ain't lucky all right there ain't nothing lucky about it and and we got a chance to to share some time with you and it's if you are given the gift of time to play on tour you're going to use it well you're going to spend time with kids you're going to make an impact on people and you're going to uh, i guess just use your overall essence and and do positive for others so we want that to happen don't we Al? yes that'd be cool for us to watch that because I don't know how many people would have done what you did today for Allie, and that's going to stay with her mm-hmm. now and make that impact on her. And hopefully we can pass that on to others because it is about the hard work. It is about the preparation. It is about looking forward to the goals, finding that thing that you're really pushing towards. And for most people, it's Pinehurst. And it, while this North and South is a cool event for you, we know that it's not the only event. It's a fun one for you, and it's a good one to compete. It'd be great to win it because you get to take that picture, and it's awesome. But right now... This is as good as it gets for us, sitting across mm-hmm. from you, right? Yeah. Super. You're the perfect guest to share this experience and insight when it comes to tackling Pinehurst. The Putterbury Trophy is one of the best in the game. And posing with it at the end of the event, on the Thistledoon next to the real putter boy, lasts forever. Go win it. Thank you so much for sitting down with us today, and I look forward to seeing you play this year's in this year's North and South. Thank you to Terry Hanley, the best GM in the business, and Cantini Golf Course for allowing us to hang on a busy Saturday to record today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it and will take something from it to prepare for upcoming Pinehurst trips. And always remember, golf is great, the grind makes it greater. That's right. Thanks, Mac. Appreciate your time.